Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm your host, for the most part, Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge. You'll actually be hearing Daniel Fagella, Emerge CEO and Head of Research, conducting today's podcast. But Daniel is moving away from hosting these programs, and you'll be hearing from me regularly on this program, week to week in short order. On that note, today's guest is Head of Research at Block Ventures, David Pollington. Block Ventures is an investment firm known for its early stage entrances and lucrative exits in a space known as deep tech. In conversation with Emerge CEO Daniel Fagella, David talks about how the barriers to entry for serious data analytics use cases are lowering into a healthy startup market and how an interest from industrial sectors in use cases surrounding limited data problems is a driving force behind that trend. Without further ado, here's their conversation. So, David, thank you for being with us. Hi, Dan. It would have been fun to be able to catch up with you in person, but quarantined as I am, we are catching up over a Google Meet call today, but we still get to cover the fun topics I wanted to cover. And we're touching on a theme that you guys will have a great perspective on as a venture firm, which is sort of how you're seeing AI companies adjust in terms of their go-to-market and their strategy post-COVID. You know, there were firms that their whole sales process was based on events, or they did a lot of in-person meetings with clients, or maybe they access certain data sources that are tougher to access now. At a high level, what have you seen alter for your portfolio folks? Well, I, you know, I, I think there's a general trend, and I, I don't know to what extent this has been influenced by, by COVID. But, you know, obviously, you know, folks are just capturing, you know, a lot more data these days and they're looking to AI to really help them to sift through that data and, and generate insights. And this is where, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of people coming unstuck. So we see a lot of companies coming through our kind of deal flow process that are looking to bring tools to allow, if you like, the democratization of AI. Sure, so sure. people talk about low code, no code. It's all about being able to drive insights from that from that data to be able to then you know drive the business forward. So I think you know that's that's one of the things that we're seeing. It's it's more a general trend towards sort of continuous improvement, more agility in the sort of the operating structure of the companies, and making better use of their data. And, and maybe COVID has, has really accelerated that realization. Yeah, I, I I guess it's it's sort of forced digitization for certain processes and maybe. Maybe it's ousted certain kinds of redundancies for in-person processes that we don't need to do anymore or something along those lines. And at least up until now, I don't know how long it'll last, it hasn't led to some gigantic financial crash to the point where we've been crunched on how much we can spend on tech. So I think actually AI startups have really benefited from the last couple of years, which at the time of the crisis, when the economy first got shut off, that wouldn't have been my first guess. So yeah, so data's waking up, you're seeing a lot more tools kind of come into play. Very competitive space, obviously, right? We've got Amazon's in that mix, data robots prepping themselves to go public, Dataiku, Domino Data. I mean, all, all the unicorns in that space have basically been on the show in the last two years. When it comes to democratized AI and data tools, what are these folks doing to kind of stand out? Yes, data's waking up. Yes, there's big opportunity. But by golly, there's so many other players there. Yeah, there is. And it's kind of interesting because you say there are some very big companies that are already starting to dominate in these spaces. But, you know, it's amazing the number of sort of smaller companies coming through with kind of innovations that, you know, really then sort of focus in on particular problems. So whether that's kind of time series data, whether that's being able to unlock, you know, data in the data lakes and sort of build it into a knowledge graph to allow, you know, better analysis of the data, 
you know, as I mentioned before, it's also about exposing that data to the whole company, you know, which I think is increasingly important as people are starting to work remotely and you have these sort of distributed organizations. You need everyone to be able to have access to the data, be able to, you know, query the data and, and get insights back from it. So there's a lot of sort of low code, no code sort of aspects to that as well, like sort of alterix, et cetera. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's, I think this is very much still a, a growing space and people are really just starting to get to grips with, you know, how to use their data. And I think, you know, that's where there's a lot of innovation opportunity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd second that. Certainly, I think there's a lot of niche opportunities, as you said, maybe time series, right? Maybe like if you've got a very niche, super specific solution for time series data that, you know, doesn't really come out of the box with Amazon or Domino or whoever, maybe there's just a way to use that as your your first way to win business. I think the idea of kind of becoming the AI platform for a whole company does feel like where you really do actually start to butt heads, you know, not in just the edge case, but now now you're really starting to butt heads with the folks that are that are trying to own that space. But there are many foot in the door strategies, and it sounds like you've got a couple companies that are leveraging a few. Anything else that in the last couple of years you're noticing could be around the kinds of companies that you're backing or you're seeing emerge, or maybe the way you're seeing those companies approach the market. You know, there maybe enterprises are buying a little bit differently these days. What what else have you seen that's been interesting in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, obviously we talked about sort of big data, you know, enterprise level and, and what you can do in terms of analytics around that data. But, you know, the flip side to that is there's also a lot of interest, you know, more perhaps in some of the industrial sectors around applying AI to use cases where actually you don't have a lot of data. You know, you have these kind of limited data problems, things like, you know, defect detection on production lines and normally detection when it comes to things like cybersecurity and this is where, you know, you need to have a different approach. And we're seeing lots of sort of interesting techniques coming out of academia that, you know, they've been, you know, swimming around for a while. And people are now starting to try and bring those through and commercialize them to allow you to essentially apply AI to these kind of few shot learning type problems. And that's where we're seeing quite a lot of innovation in particular. Okay. So this, this few shot idea and is this kind of newer for you folks in the last two years? Like maybe startups just weren't really as excited about approaching these areas because the fact that we didn't have big volumes made it just less attractive to go there. And now all of a sudden startups are attacking it. Like, is this kind of what you're picking up on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's because it's more difficult. You know, it's when you look at the the big data problems, if you have, you know, this data in the data lakes, you know, maybe it's unstructured. So you've got that whole problem and sort of labeling and annotation. And, you know, folk have been, you know, putting their minds to how do you actually improve that? But when you don't have a lot of data, people don't automatically think of, well, we could use some AI on that because they just don't have enough to actually do anything meaningful with it. But that's where people are starting to realize the value of if you could bring AI to some of those problems, then it, you know, it could have you know, huge value for the organization. So that's where we're seeing people starting to tackle those harder problems. And especially when it comes to things like computer vision. You know, I mentioned you know, defects on production lines, but when you talk about sort of autonomous vehicles, autonomous mobile robots, you know, that whole aspect of autonomy where you can never be quite sure what you're going to come across. So you, you can sort of simulate data, you can create synthetic data to try and simulate different kind of events that like a robot might in, encounter. But, you know, it's difficult. So you need, you need AI that is able to be able to react, you know, with a lot less training data than, you know, some of the other use cases can provide. So this trend that I guess you've picked up on anecdotally around getting to these sort of limited data problems with with artificial intelligence. 
I could see this being a consequence potentially of algorithms and approaches to AI becoming more developed. You mentioned synthetic data and other solutions to potentially these kind of thin file problems. Also, I could see an issue where, you know, some of the, the spaces most rife with data, you know, credit card fraud or something like that, you know, might just be very busy right now with other companies and, and a lot of funding and being able to kind of squeak our way into problems that other AI startups haven't really approached might be a reason that this has happened. Is it either of those two that you feel like are kind of the main attractor to this trend you've picked up on over the last couple of years? Is there maybe something else that, that maybe you think has kind of led things to, to lean in that direction? I, I think it's just the general application of, of AI. I mean, there's, there's a lot of statistics floating around that the majority of AI products never make it, projects never make it out of the lab and into, you know, commercial oh, yeah. production. So, you know, I think this is where obviously there's a lot of folk looking at things like MLOps and how do you actually sort of productionize the whole kind of process. But I think they're also looking at how you apply AI to, you know, verticals and to particular use cases. And I think this is where you're starting to see people understanding what it is that you need to solve particular problems. And, you know, there'll, there'll be problems in the financial you know, services sector where, you know, you are looking at things like um, trying to spot anomalies, you know, fraudulent anomalies across the data sets. There'll be the kind of the manufacturing sort of limited data problems that we've discussed. So I think we're starting to see that kind of segmentation of AI based on vertical and use case. And then within each of those buckets, you've then got innovation around how do you best apply some of the, the techniques in those particular sectors. So this is where it's just starting to spread out. And I think, you know, people are really looking at where's the commercial value and what do we need to do to, to, to realize that value? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly if people weren't looking for commercial value, you wouldn't be in business, nor would any VC firm founded at any point in the last half of a century. So, yes, hopefully people are focused on that. For, for your sake and ours. And I guess that brings us to sort of the last thing I wanted to address in this particular interview, which is around the ecosystem where you guys exist, which is in the UK. I'm sure you examine plenty of companies that don't exist there. But most of our interviews, obviously, certainly the VCs that we chat with are somewhere in North America, often on the West Coast, not surprising. When you think about, I guess, the differences, could be good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter. The differences with the kind of the UK AI startup ecosystem Anything immediate leap to mind for you in terms of what feels unique about it? I, I think the, the one observation that, that I've had is that often, you know, focus sort of applying themselves to different problems. You get different kind of problem sets that really resonate with, with people in different you know, parts of the world. So we see, you know, different you know, innovations within the AI sort of data science space coming, coming through. So, you know, as I said, around some of the areas that we've been looking at and, you know, one of our investments in a company, Mindtrace, that is really focusing on, you know, looking at things like anomaly detection and sort of pipelines and, and manufacturing plants, et cetera. That kind of thing I've probably seen more of in, in, you know, this neck of the woods than I've seen, you know, coming from the West Coast. Whereas if you look sort of to places like Israel, you get a lot more sort of military applications of using yeah. you know, AI for sort of you know, security and defense and surveillance, et cetera. So I think it, it can be quite topical based on, on geography. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, you mentioned one example there. Is there anything else that feels kind of UK topical? You know, like, hey, we tend to do more of X, more of Y. Anything else float to mind at all? No, no, not specifically. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff coming out of academia in the UK. 
you know, something which is getting perhaps a little bit sort of more geeky. I've seen quite a lot around sort of hierarchical reinforcement learning. So breaking, you know, AI down into skill sets. So basically AI, basically learning um, how to how to learn and, and approach problems and, and defining those as skills. And then you've got the kind of the assembly of those skills to create a full system and solution. So there's quite a lot of interesting stuff I've seen around hierarchical, you know, learning and, you know, intrinsic motivation as well within that. So, you know, making AI machines curious and actually trying to find solutions rather than, you know, getting themselves in knots and going around in circles. So some of the interesting stuff there that has come through. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when that bubbles its way into, you know, practical considerations. My assumption, looking from the outside, I certainly don't live here, is that certainly financial services is kind of the name of the game in London. I mean, London is kind of the New York and the LA and the whatever of 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 the UK, right? If we make an analogy of of America, it's it's a little bit of all of those things. But really, it, I think if if it's known for any sector in the world, it's in the the banking space. Does that show up anywhere in terms of what you guys see in terms of companies receiving funding, in terms of the type of problems you see people attacking? I'm just an observer from the outside saying, man, that's one city known for, you know, known for some pretty big companies in, in, in a specific sector. Does that ring true in the startup ecosystem from your perspective? I think it does to a certain extent. I mean, the a lot of the, the startup innovation at the moment in the UK is around challenger banks, neo neo banks. So, you know, being able to, you know, revolutionize, you know, the banking system. And within that, using AI to provide, you know, better service to customers in terms of things like, you know, product development and, and product propositions. But, you know, the other thing which is is quite dominant in the UK is around cybersecurity. And that obviously links mm-hmm. into the finance sector. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot that we see around cybersecurity and trying to mitigate fraud, you know, banking fraud, financial fraud, yeah. payment fraud. And yeah, there's there's a lot of certainly a lot of AI being used in that space as well. Well, the cybersec is, I guess, one area where you and the Israeli folks have something in common. Then, certainly, an, an inordinate percentage of cybersec companies in in that country. Lord knows how many phone calls we've had with Israel, or half the time it has something to do with, like you said, military or cybersec. Final quick question as we wrap up on this particular topic today. I like the fact that you kind of aired the idea of one-shot learning potentially being more viable. There's more commercial application maybe for that. Now, you guys are starting to see that come out from the corners there. I imagine, you know, we've got plenty of business folks tuned in who may not be as familiar with the one-shot learning concept or or might not realize maybe where it has value and, and where it doesn't. Is there any interesting ways of thinking about kind of how to identify problems that maybe weren't a fit for traditional ML approaches where we might need eight bajillion examples, but might be, you know, useful for kind of this new paradigm. I'm trying to think if I can turn on the light bulb in the mind of the listeners to see if they can spotlight any new opportunities in their own business based on kind of these trends that are emerging. I don't know if you have anything at all to chip in there, but I'd love your thoughts if you have them. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've touched on things like, you know, production defects. I mean, that's a good example where, you know, you don't have the training data. The whole point is, is that these defects are quite rare and you're trying to spot them as they come through. Obviously, in the, the sort of biomedical field, you know, very similar problem about trying to look for, you know, defects in, in things like, you know, cancer therapies, et cetera. But, you know, just going back to sort of the, the finance and the cybersecurity and, and the fraud aspects, you know, there's, there's so many attacks now, you know, ransomware attacks, et cetera. And, you, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of data. You can do sort of pattern no. matching. 
But, you know, it's about trying to be able to spot these kind of zero day attacks. And that's where you need to be able to essentially have an AI that's, that's trained with, with very limited data. So, you know, one shot, zero shot, few shot basically means you don't have many training examples for a particular pattern or class that you're trying to, to spot. And that's where you really need the algorithms to be able to learn how to learn, essentially. So things like meta-learning comes into that whole kind of sphere. But Is it safe to say, David, that maybe some of these approaches are slightly more advanced, even potentially more complicated in practice than a domain where maybe we have oodles and oodles of data that you know could potentially feed our model and, and train it in maybe the, the colloquial way or the, the way that it has, it has been done? Is this kind of one-shot approach you know, a, a little bit farther along in terms of skill sets we might require, in terms of the experience we might require with, with AI to kind of snipe away at those kind of problems? Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely. I think, you know, where, where there's been, if you like, the low-hanging fruit of having lots of data or being able to simulate lots of data, so, you know, image classification type problems, they've been sort of done to death to a certain degree. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we're, we're finding now is things that sort of were in academia a few years ago are now starting to creep into sort of commercialization around, you know, some of these kind of limited data problems. But it requires, you know, fundamentally different approaches. And, and you know, it's still very much, I think, in the kind of the, almost the, the research phase. But I think it will become increasingly important going forward as, as people try to leverage AI for a whole range of different tasks for which they don't have the data. Cool. Yeah, useful Useful to make note of for those of you who are tuned in. It may not be project number one, might not be the, the area where you're really, really thin on data, but certainly those are problem areas where AI is still a coming and may add a lot of value. David, I know that's all we have for time for this first interview, but thank you so much for being able to join us. Thank you very much, Dan. Wrapping up today's episode, I think the economic viability of one-shot learning in finding ROI with these emerging limited data use cases shows the true nature of the democratization of data, whether through knowledge graphs as mentioned today or as we'll discuss in our next episode, edge devices. Stay tuned for more from David and Daniel on behalf of the whole team here at Emerge. Thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. 